Now, I feel like kindness, being kind, has kind of lost its reputation these days. We know it's a good thing to be kind, and, and we know we probably should be kind a bit more, but that's in the very same sense that we should floss more or, or take our neighbor's bins out or eat a bit healthier. Kindness has almost become a, a meaningless version of niceness or politeness, the kind of thing where you wheel the friendly vicar out in front of a school kids for assembly on a, on a Tuesday morning to talk about kindness. The power of kindness is, is lost on us somewhat. But we're so aware when kindness is missing. I'm sure you know the absolute rudeness of receiving an email that simply ends with regards. <laughs> the, the audacity. Where were your kind regards? What's going on? And kindness is lacking so much in this country today. Can you show kindness to your waiter when your food order is slightly wrong? Can you show kindness to your boss when they ask you to do something? Can you show kindness when you're tired? I know I struggle when, when I'm tired. Can you show kindness to people who have different opinions to you on politics or theology? What we see in the final chapter of Ruth tonight is the kindness of Boaz to Naomi and Ruth. And through that, we see that he goes above and beyond to show them kindness. And from that, we see that the Lord God goes above and beyond to show kindness to his people and to you. And if you're taking notes tonight, that is my one point. The Lord God goes above and beyond to show kindness to you. So we're in Ruth chapter 4. Do keep your Bibles open. Uh, and we just need to recap about where we are. So we've come quite a long way in the four chapters that, that we've seen. So we're in chapter 4 tonight. So we started with Naomi and uh, the terrible days of the judges. Uh, Naomi and Elimelech were married, and there was a famine going on in the land. And they went to the foreign land of Moab. There they had two sons, Marlon and Kilion. But tragically, Elimelech died. Marlon and Kilion married foreign women. And after 10 years, it seemed like they were infertile. They couldn't have children. And then, sadly, Marlon and Kilion also died. Naomi was left a widow and childless and grandchildless in a foreign land with foreign daughters-in-law. So Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. Orpah stays in Moab, but Ruth pledges herself to Naomi. She says in chapter 1, verse 16, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth's not leaving. She's clinging to Naomi. And in the male-dominated society that they're in, Naomi and Ruth have no protection or income, and they're vulnerable women following the awful deaths in their family, and there's no male heir to grow up and provide for them. Ruth is left to pick up scraps of grain in a field to try and provide some sort of food uh, for her and Naomi in the desperate, desperate situation they find themselves in. But by God's good hand, Ruth finds herself in the field of Boaz, a relative of Naomi, 
who shows amazing kindness to Ruth. He lets her glean more than what's expected. He protects her from the other men. And she goes home to Naomi, full of grain. There is hope for this family who have suffered so, so much. Naomi wants the best for Ruth. And so she says, you know, Boaz is this relative. We can come under his family protection through the Israelite leveret laws, which we've heard about. These laws meant that struggling individuals could be redeemed. They could be protected by extended family members. Ruth, in fact, proposes marriage to Boaz. And we think it's all going really, really well until Boaz throws this massive spanner in the works. And he says, I'm not the guy to redeem you. There's a closer person. I don't have the, right, the immediate rights to save you. There's another guy. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 4. We join this rescue plan to save Ruth, Naomi, and the family legacy of Elimelech. But what ends up happening is that we end up joining God's rescue mission to save the world. And Boaz doesn't have any time to wait. Ruth has come to him the night before uh, offering marriage, and Boaz wants to sort things out as soon as possible. Um, So he... uh, in verse 1, we see that he drops his whole schedule. Remember, he's a successful businessman. He's got fields to run. He's got employees to look after. But he drops everything, and he heads straight to the town gate in verse 1 of chapter 4. The town gate is where all the business happens. It's the heart of the community. It's where people are wandering through, and therefore it's no surprise that this other guardian redeemer, this relative, is coming through the town gate. And he, remember, this guy has the legal obligation to redeem a family member in serious difficulty, in this case, Naomi. And so he comes along, this other guy, verse 1, but we don't even know his name. We can assume that everyone there, and Boaz knew his name, their family after all, but all we get is is nothing, blankness. The best translators have been able to come up with is Mr. So-and-so or Mr. No Name. Now he isn't named, I think, because he's a real piece of work. We've got no time for this guy. Boaz says to him, verse 1, come over here, my friend, sit down. So they sit down to discuss the matter in, in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of the elders. The very fact this meeting is even taking place, I think, shows that Boaz is going above and beyond to show kindness to this family, to Naomi and Ruth. When Ruth offered marriage, he, he could have quite easily said, nope, Not my problem. There's another closer redeemer. If I redeem you, it's going to cost me. Go to him. Go away. It's not not my issue. But that's not what we've seen from Boaz so far. We've seen in Boaz a guy who goes above and beyond to show love and mercy to this family. He uses the power and the influence that he has to provide for these women. And so he lays out the situation to Mr. No Name. He says, hey, buddy, right? Here's what's going on. Naomi is back in town. She's our relative. She's got Elimelech's field to sell. Now, it's yours if you want it. Legally, it's yours. But if you don't want it, let me know, and I'll take it. Now, this is a great deal. This is a great deal. The famine of chapter 1 is over, and we're back to discussing business deals. Elimelech's land is ripe for good use. Mr. No Name can rightly take it if he wants it. As part of the deal, he's got to take Naomi into his care, but that's okay. He doesn't have to marry her. She's, she's now old. Those leveret laws don't apply to her. This deal will probably double the size 
of Mr. No Name's property and income because he gets this extra field to work, what has he got to lose? If this was Dragon's Den, like everyone would be trying to get a piece of this deal. It would make the local news, like whatever the uh, Bethlehem equivalent of Chessington Chat is. Let's call it the Bethlehem business, right? You see the headlines in there, like local man saves woman, buys new field, new jobs available, apply today. This, would, this is such a good deal for him. But there is one very big string attached to this offer. Ruth. He says, verse 5, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Ruth is the condition to this deal. It's like Boaz says, oh, look, and by the way, if you accept it, you've got to marry Ruth and have children with her, and that child is going to get the inheritance from Elimelech. Your inheritance is going to go. The Leverett laws don't apply to Naomi, but they do apply to Ruth. And there's a condition there. A child would be Elimelech's heir, and Mr. No-Name would lose his whole property, his whole inheritance to any future child that they would have. And that's why he, says, and that's why he gets cold feet and says he can't do it anymore. He says he can't endanger his estate in verse 6. All he has worked for and built up would no longer go to any children he already has, but to this other child, this other son that he has with Ruth. That son, that son would have to be cared for and nurtured and provided for. The field would be bought and cared for, and the field would go away from Mr. No Name and to this son. It's a high-stakes gamble. It really is. Ruth has been unable to conceive for 10 years. But that's too high a risk for Mr. No Name. He doesn't fancy his chances, and he lets Boaz have everything. Mr. No Name should have seen this coming. I think he's been unkind by failing to remember Naomi and Ruth. This redemption maybe should have happened by the time that they returned to Bethlehem in the first place, but he's forgotten them. But here comes Boaz, the hero of the story. He's keen, and he is so kind that he is willing to be personally annihilated in order to redeem this family. All he has built up, all he has worked for, his business, his land, his employees, it may now go to a son that would belong to Elimelech so that the Elimelech family line can continue. He puts Elimelech's, Naomi's, and Ruth's needs above his own and agrees to the redemption. Now, Boaz's deal is confirmed in the presence of many elders and witnesses. Mr. No Name takes off his sandal, risky on a hot night, and he, uh, Mr. No Name swaps his shoe, he swaps his sandal, uh, with Boaz to confirm the redemption of Ruth. Now, what's going on there? That's a bit weird. Now, call me a modern man, but I prefer to sign on the dotted line to confirm a deal than swapping shoes with someone. Um, but if we find it weird, it was also weird to the first readers uh, in David's day. Now, that's just a few generations after, um, but they need the explanation. A bit wobbly here. They need the explanation in verse 7, and so it's weird to them just a few generations after. So it's even weirder to us. But that's what they did, and the deal is done. Boaz has continued the family legacy of Elimelech and has given up his inheritance to another. This is kind and costly ministry with no personal payoff for Boaz. This goes against the grain so much of what we hear around us today. 
Namely, be, be kind to yourself before you be kind to others. Look out for your own needs. Work on your own growth before you help others. This is what Mr. No Name has done. And the irony is, is that he who has sought to preserve his own name, his own legacy, ends up losing his name in the Bible. But Boaz has gone above and beyond to show kindness to this family. And he gets a great name for it. Rather than being kind to yourself first, we see that pouring yourself out for others, seeking the good of other people, even to the detriment of yourself, leads to Christ's exalting joy. And the blessings flow. The people say in verse 11 and 12, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. These are amazing, amazing words. The outcast Ruth is now compared to the founding mothers of Israel, Rachel and Leah, and likened to Tamar, another widowed, rejected, foreign outcast with a tragic story. And through these women, the people of God know God's abundant kindness to them. And Ruth's story is now bound up with those other women. And after the events of a few hours take place over a couple of chapters, we now speed up at least nine months. In verse 13, Boaz and Ruth marry. And at long last, she gives birth to a son, an heir, beauty from her brokenness. And from being in the shadows of the whole book of Ruth, God appears. The big characters of the story, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, they all exit the stage and the main character, the Lord God, comes into full view. It is he who enables Ruth to conceive. It is he who has not left her without a guardian redeemer. It is he who is to become famous. It is he who has brought the turn around. It is he who brings all events. Praise be to the Lord God because of his kindness. Rather than being a wishy-washy niceness, we've seen in Ruth that kindness is costly. It is self-sacrificing. It seeks the needs of others above yourself. And it leads to praise of God. Ruth has a future, and Naomi's bitterness is turned to joy. This kindness rubs off on, on everyone around them. Ruth, in her kindness, gives her son Obed to Naomi to care for. And she becomes the foster mother, in a sense, to Obed, to, to replace the sons uh, that she lost. From famine to fullness, Naomi is restored. And in the male-dominated society, obsessed with sons, the praise on Ruth here is astounding. She is better than seven sons. Now, Beck and I used to have a baby girl in five weeks' time, and I would love that praise on her. I'm very excited. Five weeks will fly by, I'm sure. But nothing... Nothing can ever really take away the pain of loss that Ruth and Naomi had from, from the deaths of their husbands. But here in Obed, here in the sun, there's a glimmer, a glimmer, a faint glimmer of hope. And in a room of this size, there will be undoubtedly people desperate for hope. Broken by events out of your control, Maybe just a tightness in your soul every, every waking hour. Or now just squeezed by the cost of living. Where is hope? Why does Ruth get a turnaround? Why does Naomi get a turnaround? But I don't. 
Where is God's kindness to me? Uh, and these are very tough questions where, when we're in the midst of rubbish. How can we talk about kindness when I'm hurt? There's that phrase, isn't there? Hurt people hurt people. When we're hurt, it's very easy to lash out and hurt other people. Naomi could have continued to ask people to call her bitter. So how do we break that cycle of hurt and enable kindness to flow? And also, how do we who aren't hurt and are quite simply just enjoying life, how do we show kindness to others? We'll get to that, but what we're about to see shows that God goes way, way above and beyond what the people ask of him in verse 11 and 12. And this has implications for us too. They want good blessings, and rightly so. That's fine. But their minds are about to be blown. Verse 17, the woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And here's where it's all been heading. Here's where the story's all been heading. Naomi and Ruth's lives could have been very, very different. Powerless, vulnerable women, alone in a man's world. The pain of their loss was, of course, very, very real. But the plans of God have brought them into the family line of David, the future king. Their stories of loss get woven into God's tapestry of salvation. And it's a beautiful thing. And rather than being a story about widows, we see the whole story of Ruth has actually been about God and his plans to save the world. And of course their loss hurt. But the significance of God's work lasted beyond their lifetime, which is why the book ends with uh, this genealogy from Perez all the way to David. Think of the stories of love, of kindness, of redemption, of hope that would have been told to baby Obed. Think of what Obed would have passed on to Jesse and think of what Jesse would have passed on to David, the king. The greatest king of Israel came from this unlikely story of two widows via adoption, which is bigger than anything I think they could have imagined. And if we skip to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, we, we come across Ruth and Boaz again, who make it into the family line of, of Jesus. If there was no famine and exile and brokenness and emptiness, there would be no Ruth. If there was no Ruth, there's no David. If there's no David, there's no Jesus. We've been so focused on protecting Elimelech's line, whereas God's been focused on protecting Jesus' line. And while Boaz showed kindness by giving up his inheritance uh, to Ruth and Naomi, Jesus shows us an even greater kindness. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can we show kindness? It's to trust in the kindness of Jesus, who went above and beyond to show kindness for you. He didn't need to come to earth. He didn't need to rescue us. He could have rightly left us where we are, but he gave up everything and came to this earth. When he was reviled, he responded in kindness. When he was hurt, he forgave. And when he had given up his life, he did it to redeem you. So that you can be part of his family. So that you can share in his inheritance. The inheritance of heaven that can never perish spoil or fade 
So where is hope? Where is hope when we're, we're feeling bitter, when we're at a loss, when we're hurting? My friends, hope in the kindness of Jesus. It may now or at times just feel like a really faint and distant hope. There may be a million loose ends in your life that can't possibly be tied up in this lifetime. We might not be restored in, in the way that Naomi and Ruth were, but as we come to the Lord's table, let it remind you of the kindness and the hope we can have through God, the God who has entered into your pain, the God who shows kindness by experiencing loss and the kindness of God who has promised to wipe away every tear. Where else can we go? In the cross of our Lord Jesus, we see a God who has gone above and beyond to show kindness to you. Your story gets to be part of God's story and the result of that should be praise. As we eat bread and and drink wine, know that this is God's kindness to you. Know that he will sustain you. Know that he will renew you. And we can give him praise because he has not left you, King's Church Chessington, without a guardian redeemer. And his name is Jesus. Why don't we pray? Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you that you enter into our pain. Thank you that you give us hope. And that is a kindness beyond anything we could imagine. So help us to cling to your kindness, cling to the hope that you give us, and help us to rejoice as we sing and as we feast on you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're going to sing in response, and then we're going to gather around um, the Lord's table. So please do stand when the musicians are ready.